That's a great call, Jeff. Like, outstanding. And the Stanley Cup final is now set. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Jeff Merrick alongside lead singer Elliot Friedman and uh, Amal Delich uh, playing the keyboards in the background. Tampa Bay Lightning, Elliot, over the New York Rangers Saturday night. 2-1 to is the final score in one of the more thrilling finishes uh, we've seen in a semifinal or any playoff game, for that matter. First of all, uh, before we get into Tampa and Colorado and preview the Cup final and all that, what did you make of the game? Thrilling finish, Stamkos at the center of all of it. What did you make of Saturday? Rangers got tampered. <laughs> they got tampered. They did, too. Stamkos, I mean, what a player. Later in career renaissance. Let's go back to the bubble and think about Stamkos. And he scores the one great goal and he otherwise can't play. Yep, great moment. Try to think back to where you were at that moment and where you thought Steven Stamkos was going. To be quite blunt, I thought he was on the downturn because the injuries were now going to start catching up to him. He was getting on later in his career. There was a frustration about the Olympics. And I was thinking, that's a great moment. That's a great goal. That might be the uh, the crescendo for his career here. I didn't see this season's version of Steven Stamkos coming. I thought we may be looking at a guy that's that's clearly on the back nine. I think we all thought that. We all thought, what a great moment. He got to have a signature play. Like when we talked about Steven Stamkos, yeah. that was the play we were all going to talk about. Great shot. And then he did got his opportunity to lift the Stanley Cup as the captain of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And now look where we are two years later. He got to lift another Stanley Cup as the captain of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And now he's having one of the best seasons of his career two years after that occurred. And he was the hero of game six with two goals, including 20 seconds after the Rangers had tied it. I think the thing that has to be recognized here is Stamkos is hugely popular among his peers. Mm -hmm. Nobody in the NHL wants to lose to Tampa because by now everybody freaking can't stand them because they've got 11 playoff series in a row. I have incredible respect for them, but I think if there's one thing people like to see on Tampa, they like to see Stamkos doing well because he's a hugely popular person and opponent. And I would say that there's a lot of people who might be sick of seeing Tampa win, but are happy to see him being such a a huge part of it. And to be honest, he had a season this year I don't think he was on every heart ballot, but I, I'll bet you when the voting's done, he's going to finish around eighth. We're going to see him around eighth in the heart trophy balloting this year. That's my prediction based on nothing but my own ballot, really. <laughs> well, the the other thing that um, that he's really become, and we're seeing it now, I mean, last season when the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup, the, the go-to interview was Nikita Kucherov. Now the go-to interview is Steven Stamkos. I don't know that there's anyone that I want to hear more from about the game that just happened or the games that are about to happen more so than Steven Stamkos. He's a guy that's self-aware. He's a guy that's seen a ton of things in his career. Uh, he's a guy that is still very much focused on the Stanley Cup. He's having, a, as you mentioned, a signature season, one where he'll get some Hart Trophy consideration. And he's become a guy that, for my money, Elliot, when the Tampa Bay Lightning game is over, I want to see him at the podium. 
he's one of my favorite interviews, you know, full stop right now. He's got a lot of interesting things to say. In our interview at the beginning of the year, he was great. And I think he's also reached the grandma phase. Hmm? The grandma phase where you're 85 years old in hockey years and you just say, <laughs> you know what? I don't care anymore. I'm just saying yeah. whatever's on my mind. He says it in a really nice way, but he says what he thinks. Look at him in the penalty box the other night. Oh, boy. He basically pointed at the referee and said, that tying goal is on you. And then he goes out and scores the winner. And this is a 1-1 game. The Rangers are 1-2 for two in the game of the power play with 6.53 left in regulation. Stamkos and Kopp at center ice. Lightning have had numerous chances that Chesterkin has turned aside in this game. Truba, a pass to the Lightning line blocked by Hedman. He'll feed it up the middle. Miller a block. Lafreniere, who drew the penalty, steals and dumps it in. Headman up the far side for Andre Pilat. Leads Kuchov on the right side at center. Across the blue line, right point. In front for Stamkos. Shoot! Save Shesterkin! Shesterkin! Now Shesterkin is saying it was knocked off his glove and in. The Lightning celebrate. We're going to have to see a replay on this. Yeah, we're going to have to see something. Now the linesman is talking to the referees. I don't know. Stamkos has no doubt, though, that this is a goal. It went in the net, and that's all I know. Chesterkin stopped it with his glove, but eventually went in the net. Here's the replay, Phil. Come he shoots. Oh, he bobbled it. He bobbled it, no doubt. Yeah, that's, that's a, goal. a goal. That is a goal for Stamkos. Chesterkin makes the save. The rebound comes out. I mean. Well, his glove is hit, but the puck is loose at that point. He had two hands on his stick. Johnny Murray was the one. Let's see what they say here. After review, it's confirmed we have a good goal. Good goal. All right, now, <laughs> Phil, the Rangers could challenge the goalie interference. Yes, they could, but they I don't could. think they will. This is the stuff that legends are made of. Like these moments. Like that was a le- Like whenever this Tampa run is over, here's one of the things that I'm always interested in. When this Tampa run is over, and I'm not talking about this season, I might even be talking about next season as well, getting ahead of ourselves, because this is still a team that is basically intact. We'll see what happens with Andre Palat. But um, whenever this era of the Tampa Bay Lightning is over, you're going to think back to signature moments. We do with all dynasty teams. Where are you going to put game six? Where are you going to put game six from that? The first goal of the game where he goes far side on, on Igor Shosturkin, where that goaltender doesn't get beat on that shot. Like, I can't stress enough how that goalie doesn't get beat on that shot. That is such a great shot by Steven Stamkos to the penalty, to the game winner, to all of it. Where are you going to put those third period heroics by Stamkos? Not just heroics, third period controversy, third period heroics of Steven Stamkos whenever this chapter of the Tampa Bay Lightning's history is written. I don't know. That's a good question. I still think a lot of people won't look at it as big as the one goal, just because it was such a moment. Mm -hmm. But when his number 91 gets retired in Tampa and he's in the Hall of Fame, that'll be all over the videos. It really will. And, you know, we're going to get to the the preview here in a couple of moments. And now Tampa will face their toughest opponent for the Stanley Cup with no disrespect to Dallas and Montreal. This is going to be the toughest test for Tampa. More on that in a couple of moments. Also some news from around the NHL. But that's four wins in a row by the Tampa Bay Lightning. They go down 2 nothing to the New York Rangers. And then they go down 2 nothing in game three. And then after that, it was 
wake up. It's like The Undertaker. His great move when he was going to start his comeback. Just whoop, sits up, and then it's all over. I like Jason Voorhees. You think he's dead, <laughs> but he shows back up to kill 25 more people. It really is. I don't know how many times we can we can talk about this more. Although, you know, I thought Kevin brought up a really great point on Saturday. No, that's not possible. That it is happen. true. And, you know, you're going to go like, oh, here goes Merrick talking about Anthony Sorelli again. But Anthony Sorelli again, Elliot, like yeah. all throughout the playoffs so far. And the one thing that I can't help, and I always stress this, and I'm really, I'm, I'm speaking to hockey moms and dads here. You know, it was only, I think, maybe one or two seasons leading up to the OHL draft when Anthony Sorelli played AAA. He was like an A-level player the whole way up. A and AA just wanted to have fun and play with his buddies. And it wasn't until his last couple of seasons of minor, as they call it in the States, youth hockey, that he started to play AAA hockey. So for all parents who stress about, oh, my kid's never going to make it if he's only playing single A or whatever, like, look at Anthony Sorelli. Michael Bunting. And there's another great one from Scarborough, Ontario. There's a great story with Anthony Sorelli, his rise through you know junior hockey with the Oshawa Generals. Uh, I've talked before at the Memorial Cup against Leon Dreisaitl and the Kelowna Rockets. He scores uh, the overtime winning goal to give the Oshawa Generals the Memorial Cup. Uh, it's the last goal ever scored in one of the more legendary buildings in North America, the Gold Coliseum. He scores the last goal, and he's been instrumental, albeit very quietly, and kind of a minor key here, Anthony Sorelli has been one of the bigger stories for the Tampa Bay Lightning for each. No, they've been great, Jeff. There's no doubt about it. They're fantastic players. If they could score, like Sorelli and Kalorn have had terrible luck in these playoffs. Mm -hmm. If they could score, these series would be even more lopsided. But there's no doubt when he's on the ice, plays get shut down. See, I think last year that third line the Coleman, Goodrow, Gord line really overshadowed a lot of other forwards on the Tampa roster. Now I think Sorelli's finally getting his due. And Bergeron is the Selkie guy, obviously. He's won five of them. And Barkov's gotten a lot of attention. O'Reilly's gotten a lot of attention. I think we're into the Sorelli era. He's going to start winning these things now. Everybody's been talking about him. You know, really smart hockey fans. And, and I will credit you too. As, as much as it also pains me to do this, you've been talking about Sorelli for years. This is the one that's going to push him over the top and he's going to start winning awards. Just like Makar's about to start winning Hart and Norris trophies, Sorelli's about to start winning his Selkies based on this. You'll notice I didn't interrupt you during that because I no, want that yeah, to be clean because I want Amal to isolate that. And I may just make that my ringtone. <laughs> we'll see about that. You have a couple of thoughts on a couple of other Tampa players before we shift our attention to the, uh, the final. I do want to ask about a couple of Rangers players. Let's go right to the final now. You know, we've got seven games coming up, four to seven games coming up. We'll have plenty of time to talk more about some of these guys. But let's talk about the final. This is a really difficult final for me to pick, Jeff, because... Mm -hmm. It's the team I picked at the beginning of the year, Colorado, versus the team I vowed never to pick against again, Tampa. Mm. And I've picked Tampa all three rounds this playoffs, but I think this is Colorado in seven. I think point returns early. I think there's a chance that Kadri returns, I want to say mid-series, and... We all know that Tampa gets stronger as series go on. This is a chance to be unbelievable. I'm taking Colorado in seven. You? I'm taking Tampa uh, in this one. 
I think this is, as I mentioned earlier, Tampa's toughest test. Dallas in the bubble, Montreal in the COVID season. And in the first, even though we had stops and starts and it was awkward at times getting there, this was the first, quote unquote, real, true, more than just a reasonable hand-drawn facsimile of a season. Uh, And this is going to be their toughest test. I mean, Dallas, Montreal, now Colorado. Now, see, I don't have the conundrum that you have because I picked Tampa in the final, but my team coming out of the West was the... Flames. Winnipeg Jets. At the beginning of the season, I was... Uh, I was. Well, I did say Winnipeg was going to be the best team in Canada, so... I was fully on board with Winnipeg Jets winning the West, which is why you should never turn to me for, for such advice. I think it's going to be a tough one, but I have a hard... T- just seeing how Tampa, uh, to your point, they get better, they get stronger. It's so tough to extinguish this team. The one thing that I'm really looking forward to is like I think this season, Kale McCarr had the best season of any defenseman in the NHL. But if you ask me who's the best defenseman in the league, I'll tell you Victor Hedman. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether this is going to be a moment where it's a passing of the torch from one to another, or this will be Victor Hedman showing, you know, who the big dog is here still. And Tampa has been there before, as we all know. And this is Colorado's with this era's version of the avalanche. First time there. I don't know. I can't I can't bet against Tampa. I'm picking Tampa in this one all the way. I totally understand that. How many games? I'm going Colorado in seven. How many games are you going? I, I've always said to myself, whenever if I'm going to pick seven, that's really an admission that I don't know who's going to win. No, that's that's completely moronic. It's No, no, it's not. When you say, oh, everything. No, you know what it reminds me of? What? I'll tell you exactly what it reminds me of. Whenever there's a coach that's out of work and he shows up on a panel either on television or he gets asked for a, uh, for a website or a newspaper to do predictions for series, every series is always going seven. And uh, both teams are well coached. What do you? Because the, the player, the coach doesn't want to offend anybody. I just yeah, but I don't care about offending anybody. I'm saying that I think this is going to be a legitimately tough series that goes the max. It's not. I'm picking Colorado. I'm just saying it's going to take them seven games to do it. I will take Tampa in six. Oh, okay. I think it's going to be a tough series. I seldom, if ever, pick seven. So I'll say Tampa in six. All right. Seeing how Tampa behaves. Now, Colorado has had a couple of, like, I always look at teams that have easy times along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tampa had their easy time against the Florida Panthers. Apologies, Panthers fans. But Colorado had, you know, a couple of, of quick series as well, uh, which gives them the rest, which <sighs> when it's elite level team against elite level team, I pick the team that's had the most rest. But I kind of look at these two and say, okay, it might kind of be a wash. But uh, I can't go against Tampa. I don't know how many times I can say that. especially if- Look, I understand not picking against Tampa. I do. If Braden Point's coming back, I, I really can't pick against Tampa. That's fair. V- Vasilevsky, too, is a big advantage. Vasilevsky's huge. The experience is huge. Uh, an inspired headman, an inspired Stamkos. It's, uh, this one's going to be a tough slide. Going to be great hockey. They are rested, though. talk about the Rangers for a sec? Sure, of course. So I was surprised 
by some of the reaction to the Kako scratch. Why? Well, first of all, I was surprised they scratched him. I was surprised they scratched him, especially because Strom clearly was not healthy. And I don't blame Strom at all. He gave it everything he had, and and that's all you can ever ask. Mm. It was very clear from the first time he was out there, he was far from 100%. And to be honest, I wasn't surprised he didn't make it through the game because you could see he was really struggling to keep up. But the one thing that... I think really surprised me. And I'm well aware that Twitter isn't a true representation of society, but I was shocked. Like Gerard Gallant, he pushed every correct button this year for that team. I was astonished at the the blowback to him. I understand sometimes during the middle of a game, that's a difficult situation. And I certainly don't fault Emily Kaplan for asking the question, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes it is difficult for a coach to explain themselves in that moment because they're so focused on the game. Yep. But post-game, I, I really was curious and would have liked to hear what was going on, but he decided not to do that, and we'll see where we go in the aftermath. But but Gerard Gallant has pushed the right buttons for the Rangers all season long. And in this moment here, it all completely evaporated. My faith in him in this particular matter might be proven to be completely wrong, but I think he's a guy who's generally pro-player, like player-friendly, Jeff. Mm -hmm. And generally, like, I don't think there's a coach here who's saying, okay, I've got to win game six in Tampa to go play game seven in New York to go to the Stanley Cup final, let's sabotage our group so we can't get there. A coach just doesn't do that. And while I am curious about the explanation, I have to say I was surprised at immediately how little faith there seemed to be in his process. I was shocked at that because all year long, he's done the right things with this team. I wonder, though, Elliot, how much this is Rangers fans fell in love with the kids. I think that's part of it. Because the kids... Good call. What do, what do young hockey players represent? They represent the future. They represent hope. Wow is finally working. Second overall pick. Now we're seeing Capo Caco. Remember when we talked to Henrik Lundqvist in Chicago at the Players Tour and he raved about Caco? He's like, guys, this, this kid's going to be fantastic. Yes. Trust me. But on the end, he was going on and on about Capo Caco. And now they finally started to see it. And ditto for Alexi Lafreniere as well. And Philip Heedle, who at times you mentioned Gerard Galland. We've talked about this plenty. Hey, we're going to scratch him for a couple of games. We want him to stare at Mika Zibanejad for a while and and learn the game just by watching Zibanejad. I wonder how much of that is just fans fell in love with the kids' story and didn't want that one to stop. I think that's a great answer. I really do. You might have hit it out of the park there, Jeff. You might have connected on it. It's just that the way I look at things is, does a coach generally deserve the benefit of the doubt or not based on his track record? Now, we know this year the Rangers were a team that Shesterkin covered up a lot of their problems, right? He had a regular season for the ages, Mm -hmm. and I think much of that's going to be reflected in both the Vesna and Hart Trophy race. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can be, even make the argument he had even better postseason. He had a fantastic playoffs. <laughs> it was ridiculous, Elliot. This was super elite. Like no one's outside of of Ottinger in the first round. No one's really even close. No one's really even close. He was fantastic. And once the 
the Lightning got their defensive clamps on Zibanejad, the Rangers couldn't score at five on five. You know, Cooper had a plan. He got his plan, and th- that was it for the Rangers' five-on-five offense. He got Sorelli out there against him at home or on the road, and he got the clamps in, and they were really in trouble. That made Shesterkin's margin for error even worse. But I would still generally think that Gallant this year did a lot of things very well, very well. And he is as pro player a coach as it gets. And I was just astonished at how quickly that seemed to evaporate on him. I'm with you. I'm stunned. Okay. I want to go back to game one. Okay. Remember what happened game one of the season? What was game one of the season, Elliot? Uh, Capitals. Washington Capitals and New York Rangers. And what did we expect? Fireworks. A bloodbath. It was going to be a bloodbath. It was going to be a fight fest. Here we go. And what did we get instead? The Rangers got absolutely trounced by the Washington Capitals for three full periods. The Capitals had their way with the New York Rangers. If I would have told any Rangers fan after that night that the New York Rangers were going to make it to the conference final and they were going to lose, but it was going to take six games against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions. And they were going to be at times up to nothing in the series and up to nothing in the third in the in the third game of the series, you would have said, what a great season. That's fantastic because we looked awful on game one and everything was being questioned. All of the moves were being questioned. I actually thought the Rangers had the lightning on the ropes more than the Leafs did. In game three? Yeah. After they went up on those two power play goals? They were up two nothing. They were up two nothing in the series yeah. and two nothing in the game. Now they never got a chance to knock them out like Toronto did. But I did think the Rangers had the lightning on the ropes in this series. And the way Cooper was looking and when he pulled Nick Paul out of that interview, he was scared. He thought they were in big trouble. Yeah. Listen, I think this was a fantastic season for the Rangers. I know it stings the minute you're out. I get it because at a certain point you stop thinking, hey, this is wonderful. We're playing with house money. And you start thinking we could win the Stanley Cup here. We have enough elite level players here. We could legitimately win the Stanley Cup. And then you run into this buzzsaw called the Tampa Bay Lightning and everything comes comes crashing down. To your point, you can't put him out. You know, the fighter's on the ropes. He's got his hands up. He's covering up and maybe he gets saved by the bell or whatever it is. You can't put them out. And then they come out stronger the next round and it's curtains. I get it. It stings. It sucks. But if I'm a Rangers fan, I'm feeling really good about this season. And I'll tell you, the main reason I'm feeling good is I have the most important piece. The best goaltender in the world. No, you don't. You have the second best goaltender in the world. You think Vasilevsky's better than Igor Shosturkin? Yes, I do. Hmm. Is this the same way that I look at Victor Hedman as the best defenseman, but Kale McCarr had the better season? Yeah, I think you could say that. I will buy that. Like, there's no shame in saying to Shosturkin he's the second best goalie in the world. Okay. You have one of the best goaltenders in the world. And you have this run of goaltenders, much like the Bruins have had runs on defensemen from Orr to Park to Bork, you know, to Chara, now to McAvoy. You've gone Richter, Lundqvist, and now Igor Shosturkin. It is an embarrassment of goaltenders for the New York Rangers. And you have it. You have, you, you have the hardest piece. I mean, what, is everybody, what is everybody clamoring for around the NHL? 
That is the envy of the league. And you have it. And this guy's going to be an elite level. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll even, you know, maybe he'll even woo Elliot and bring Elliot over to Camp Shesterkin here. Give me a break. It's not like I'm not in <laughs> Camp Shesterkin. I said he's the second best goalie in the world to, to Vasilevsky. I'm sorry if that makes me a terrible human being. <laughs> You're a bad person. Now you watch a kill McCarr's own entry for the rest of your life um, as penance. But do you not agree? Like they have the toughest piece to get. Like I think in a in a in a salary cap, I've always maintained this. In a salary cap world, what's the one thing we've we've seen with goaltenders? You can't expect goalies to steal games. You can expect goalies to steal periods. Maybe you can expect a goaltender to steal two periods. You know how hard it is to steal a game when there's this much parity, and he does it. Now I think we've got greater goaltending tiers than we've had in quite some time. The drop offs between some of the groups are bigger than ever. I think I have Vasilevsky one, and I think there's a tiny bit. I think when you've won 11 straight playoff series and two cups, you get to say that you're in a class by yourself. And then Shesterkin is right behind him. And then I think there's a drop from Shesterkin to whoever you want to make number three. Like, I think he's in a class by himself behind the guy who's in a class by himself. You know who we're going to start to see and we're going to start to have the conversation about? Who's that? And it's going to be great because they're in the same division oh, and they're next door to each other, Ilya Sorokin. Yeah, he's he's a hell of a goalie too. You know, the other the other thing too I look at with the Rangers is I, I think they have a hell of a defense too. Well, what did we talk about last part? This is the coming out party for Ryan Lindgren. It, it's not only that. It's, look, they've got Fox and he's signed and they've got Truba and he's signed. They're, they'll have to sign Miller. Somebody said to me that Jonas Brodeen is the kind of guy, he's going to play 15 to 20 years. He's not going to put up a ton of points, but he's going to be in your top four for 15 years. Mm-hmm. That's what I see when I see Miller. Now, he's got one more year. They can try to extend him this summer. He had 20 points this year, seven goals. You know, that's that's a good number. I don't know if he's ever going to be an enormous point guy, but that's what I see when I see Miller, a guy who's always in good position, a guy who can make a really good pass, a guy who can bring the puck up ice. You know, he's going to play in this league for 15 years. He's going to be in somebody's top four for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just don't know how much he's going to score, but who cares? He's a heck of a player. You know, Lindgren to me is, is really interesting because I think one of the things the Rangers have always kind of worried about, and I know they talked about it internally when they, they, they traded for him and they tried to sign him, and that is just how long is he going to play? He's a young guy. He's only 24 years old. Mm-hmm. But that the Rangers were worried about exactly what we saw from him this year. The way he plays, you just wonder – you know, how long is he going to last? There's no concern about his ability. There's no concern about obviously his will. Mm-hmm. The only, the only concern they have is how long is he going to last? That's, that's the only thing. Does he play too hard? I would do the same thing. Like, I, I don't want anyone to think I'm criticizing him. If I wanted to win the Stanley cup as bad as these guys want to win the Stanley cup. And if I played, I would, I wouldn't have left any of those games. I wouldn't have taken myself out of the lineup. Yeah. It just, it, it creates a toll on you as your career goes on, right? Yep, I get that. So I think that's that's what I'm talking about here. And they do have a couple of defensemen coming. You know, obviously they have Zach Jones, 
Schneider. You know, Nils Lundqvist, that'll be an interesting one. I, I think his future could end up being somewhere else. But, you know, I, I look at their D, and, and I think they're going to be a good team on the blue line for long. I think when you look at their group this year, they're going to look at it, and they got a lot of players they got to sign, a lot of spots they got to sign. It's, it's going to be scoring at even strength. They're going to look at this, and they're going to say, how are we going to score at even strength to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning? That's going to be their question. And the challenge is going to be, and we'll get into this now here, what's next for the New York Rangers? You mentioned, you know, players that you make decisions on. We talked about Capo Caco. He's a restricted. Uh, Alexander Georgiev, he's restricted. Uh, Sammy Blay, he's uh, restricted as well. And the UFAs, uh, Andrew Kopp, Ryan Strom, who you mentioned, just completely emptied the tank until it was bone dry for this team. And Frank Vetrano as well who scored that big goal on, on Saturday night. And they have $13 million in cap space thereabouts, according to Cap Friendly. How do you see the Rangers? A lot of players that need to sign. How do you see it shaking out? Well, I think the number one thing is, where are we going with Kako here? When he was scratched, my phone blew up with, teams are going to be going after this guy. Mm -hmm. They're going to be asking about him. I had people throwing offer sheet scenarios at me. I had people saying this team liked them and that team liked them and and they're going to be calling about them. I think his future immediately leaps to near the top of the list. You know, are, are the Rangers still committed to him? Is, is he still committed to them? I, I think that's going to be a big question. You know, the other thing too is can they find a deal for Cop? You talked about Cop's availability and what you think he could draw. You know, are the Rangers going to be able to find any way of, of doing that? You know, the thing with Strom, they've been talking on and off with Strom, and, and he loves it there. I'll tell you a story about Strom, who's a, who's a guy I really like. You know, last year, I thought he was getting traded. And at one point in time, he kind of joked that he was glad I was wrong because he wanted to be a Ranger. And I think when you play the way he played – you're doing two things. You're showing people that you care, but in particular, you're showing this team that you really care about it and them and your teammates. Like if you saw all those looks between Zibanejad and Kreider, you know, <laughs> they looked like two brothers who'd lost their dog, right? Yeah. Like it sucked. It sucked for those guys. And I think you could tell that these guys really liked each other. And that was that was what Strom was doing. Strom was saying, you know, I care a lot about this group and I'm I'm putting myself out there for it. I just think it's going to come down to how they prioritize all of this. Like, look at the extensions that are coming. You know, you've got a Miller extension that's coming in a year. Yep. You've got a Lafreniere extension that's coming in a year. You're going to have a Heedle extension that's coming in a year. You've got Kako's situation. You've got Cop. You've got Strom. How does Chris Jury prioritize all this? Hmm. And I think the Kako thing could be key to it. What does Game Six mean? Because I definitely think they're going to get asked that. Is do you guys still see this guy as as one of your guys? You know, Elliot, we should also mention a little bit of Rangers business news, and that is the uh, signing of Vitaly Kratsov, one-year, $875,000 deal. And we should point out, this is a one-way for each. This is a one-way. Yes, yeah, so he needs to clear waivers to go to the American Hockey League, and 
Um, you know, I, I'd asked around, did, did people think that that meant that Kravtsov was trade bait or was going to be staying? And uh, the, the, guesstim- the early guesstimation is that he's staying. So uh, we'll see. We'll see where that goes. But look, I think it was a hard year for a player. Sometimes uh, a relationship needs to kind of hit re- rock bottom to sort itself out. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the relationship between Kravtsov and the Rangers hit rock bottom this year. When you have a guy that talented who's making 875, there's going to be a chance for you to play. The other thing too, is I was sent an article today uh, that was in one of the Russian papers, which was an interview uh, with Dan Milstein, who represents Kravtsov. And basically what the interview says, and I'm looking at the translation, but you know, I double checked. It seems to be accurate. They said that Drury and Kravtsov had a lot of conversations and after the season, uh, Kravtsov called his agent and said that he wanted to come back and he wanted to play uh, for the Rangers. Now, evidently, the one-way deal was important. It got done. He can't go to the minors without clearing waivers. So it sounds as if the player wants to play in New York. And if a team gives you that kind of contract and with the Rangers cap situation, which we've talked about, oh, yeah. a-, a guy like that at 875 – you're going to get a chance to play. Uh, they're basically saying to you, you can win a roster spot here. The opportunity is going to be there. So it's it's up to him now. You mentioned a second ago the Andrew Kopp situation, just so people are aware. like I'm of the belief that this will be either a Philippe Deneau or Zach Hyman style deal. So somewhere in the 5.5 on either a six or seven year term. That's That's what I believe the marketplace is for Andrew Kopp. Does that ring ring valid to you? It could be. He's a center. He's a versatile guy, man. Yeah, and he can play a lot of places up and down your lineup. He can play on the wing. He can play center. He can play an offensive role. He can play in a defensive role. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with you. So we'll stand by to see what happens there. Let's get to some news, okay. uh, Elliot. You know, the, the one thing that I that I do want to point out here, and I, I wonder about this, the one thing we know about the NHL, and Gary Bettman has always felt this way, that he doesn't want any news interfering with the games. Well, we don't have a game until Wednesday, Elliot, so should we expect... And then we have the, two uh, days off. We have the one <laughs> two-day off break. Yes, so should we expect a, pardon the pun, avalanche uh, of news in the next couple of days. By the way, did you hear this interesting stat that this is the first ever Stanley Cup final between two teams whose name does not end in S. Yes, that was one of the first tweets that I got from someone (laughs) on Saturday night. The only other time it's ever happened, 2012 NBA final. Heat versus Thunder. Hmm. Apropos of nothing, here we go. (laughs) This empty calorie fact presented by 32 Thoughts, the podcast. I like empty calories. Uh, we all do specifically around this time of year when we're staying up late watching hockey games saying, yeah, you know what? Uh, I'll get back to bikini season when game seven is done. 
Oh, so by the way, I wanted to tell you on Saturday night, like uh, the producer, Brian Spear and Ron and Kevin and Kelly wanted to call it 32 Thoughts, but I was like, nope, Jeff's not here. We don't call it 32 oh, Thoughts. Oh, you should have done it anyway. It's no, every fine. everybody Just, else wanted to do it, but uh, I have, unlike the rest of our coworkers, I have respect for you. <laughs> Clearly they have none. And that's just fine. <laughs> so a couple of things you talked about in the uh, Don't Call This a 32 Thoughts segment on Hockey Night in Canada. By the way, by the way, I should say first. Yes. I'm a dope because you reported Rick Tockett in Winnipeg and I forgot to put the Jets logo on Tockett's list. Don't worry list. about that. Oh, geez. Okay, come no, on. No, I, I heard you were really hurt and offended. <laughs> you could hear me screaming on Saturday night watching my television. <laughs> Elliot, don't forget the Jets. Don't forget the Jets. Um, Duncan Keith and Mike Smith uh, and the Edmonton Oilers. Um, as we reported on Saturday, Edmonton would like a decision, um, preferably by July the 1st, from both these players on their future, if indeed they plan to return. Yeah, so they just need to know, obviously. Um, you know, Smith had made it very clear publicly that he was thinking about it. He has one more year left. I think the other thing with Smith is, um, it, I, I think LTIR is a possibility for him, even if he decides not to officially retire. I, I hear he's really banged up, really banged up. I think it was all season two or, yes. mo or most of the season, Elliot. This guy gutted it out all year long. He was far from healthy. And I, I heard at the end of the season, he was really banged up. And it, even if he doesn't retire, it might be an LTIR situation. But mm -hmm. he is, uh, as, as he said, he's thinking about it. And, you know, the other one is Keith. And um, look, I, I've heard mixed things on this. I, I heard Keith really liked it in Edmonton this year, really enjoyed the run, the two victories. I heard the organization really was thankful for the role he played with a lot of the younger players. I, I heard they really liked having him around just because of his attitude and the fact that he's a fitness freak. When you see the way Keith prepares, you kind of have an understanding of what it really takes. I know the Oilers are really happy with him. You know, I've had some people say to me, he'll be back. I've had some other people say to me, I just think they're they're not a hundred percent sure. So they said, Duncan, just take a couple of weeks and think about it. I mean, if if Keith retires, it's a it's a huge cap break for the Oilers, and it's something they absolutely need. But as someone said to me, they would not be unhappy to have him back with the impact they felt he had around the organization. But Neither player is 100%, although I think Keith is much more likely to return than Smith is. So that's one thing. You know, the other thing, too, is after I, I, I did that on, on Saturday night, I, I got a call from someone on Sunday. And, um, you know, we were just talking about the others, and this is a person who knows that organization very well. And he said that the thing he, he found very fascinating was just the fact that like everybody left in a really good mood. I was wondering if there would be trade requests. And I think we're all, you know, kind of wondering about Pugliarvi. What this individual told me was that there were no trade requests. However, what he did say is that I think there's some players who want clarity in their roles. And if the roles are not at the top, then I think then we could see a situation where some of them say, is there anywhere else that I could have a greater role? And so I think that's kind of where it was left. But even though they were really disappointed to lose to Colorado, 
they really loved, you know, the, the two rounds of the wins. I mean, they were disappointed about the loss to Colorado and the fact, you know, they got, they got swept, but they got a taste, right? They saw what it was like when McDavid and Dreisaitl were unleashed in the playoffs. And, you know, he just told me there was, you could really sense among a lot of the players, it was a real optimistic feeling and they know it's hard. Uh, to get back there, but they, you know, what he told me was, and like I said, this is a guy who knows that organization really well. He said that it's been a long time since he saw players leave at the end of the season feeling like that. Mm. And so, you know, like obviously they have some decisions they've got to make. We've talked about Pugliarvi. We'll see what happens on defense with the, with a guy like Barry. You know, they're, they're going to try to re-sign Kane. I don't think they have any desire to move Yamamoto anywhere. Someone asked me about that. Do you think they move Yamamoto? I was like, what? I, I never heard that anywhere. I mean, I, I guess I could be wrong, but I never heard that anywhere. Everybody left in a, in, in a pretty good mood. Uh, I think this week, Holland and Woodcroft will meet and try to figure this out. And I know I keep bringing this up from time to time, but I have heard that there's going to be some sort of a title for Paul Coffey, but I just don't know what the role is going to be. I think we talked about this on the last podcast as well. It sounds like this week, maybe latest next week, we'll have more clarity on the Edmonton Oilers and what they're going to be looking like and looking for. We'll get a um, a finer sharpening of the pencil. How about that, Elliot, on what, uh, on what the, uh, the Oilers are going to be all about? Um, meanwhile, the San Jose Sharks are all about looking for a general manager. And as you reported on Saturday, they are now down to a list of between three to five people and nothing to the idea of a president of hockey operations. I wouldn't say nothing. I just heard what people told me was it's very unlikely. Okay. Very unlikely. They said it's still possible. It could change at the end. The The direction it appears to be trending in is that it's unlikely. Again, I, I don't want to say zero mm-hmm. uh, because I guess anything is possible, but I, I just heard it doesn't appear to be trending in that way. I think there's I think they're going down to three or five final candidates. They had 12 before. It was indicated to me that there might only be one person on that list who's been a GM before. So I had a conversation with someone last week yeah, um, who said he fully expects this to be a, quote, non-traditional hire. And then, you know, uh, listening to you talk about, you know, how many candidates would be first-year general managers, like that, that completely rings true with the conversation that I had with someone last week. The way that they phrased it was, you know, they want to look outside the box for this one. I think that's definitely true. You know, I do believe, I, I'd suggested Mike Greer as a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do believe that Greer was interviewed at least. I don't know where he sits. You know, I, I have a bit of a thing with the with the Greer family. So Mike Greer's dad is uh, Bobby Greer. And Bobby Greer was a longtime football player and NFL executive. And I can't remember exactly which team he was working for at the time. I want to say it was the Patriots. When I was at Western, Western had a wide receiver named Tyrone Williams, who was a great uh, wide receiver who was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys and played in the NFL. And so... I did a piece on 
his NFL draft stock, you know, months before the draft. And I cold called Bobby Greer. Hmm. And he took my call. Hey. He took my call and he, he gave me an interview. So like the other guy who did that was was Art Shell, the coach of the Oakland Raiders. I can't even remember if they were in Oakland or Los Angeles at the time. Like, don't even ask. But he was coaching one of those college all-star football games, and Williams was invited to play. And I called him on a Monday. I left a message, and he didn't get back to me. I was like, ah, didn't get him. And I didn't realize that was a holiday Monday in the States. And the next day, my phone rang in the Gazette office, and I pick it up. Elliot Freeman goes, Elliot, this is Coach Shell of the Raiders. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. I, I couldn't even speak. But so I like I have always I've always had a thing for the Greer family because when I was a, a 22-year-old punk reporter out of nowhere, I basically cold called Bobby Greer for an interview and he gave it to me. And so I've always kind of watched Mike for that reason. When I was first starting in the industry, I remember working um, as a producer and call screener for Spider Jones on the fan 590 in Toronto. And I could, I had that same thing when I cold called Jean Beliveau. Oh, wow. And I had talked to him, you know, a number of different times over the years and always loved, you know, seeing him at the, at uh, the Bell Center uh, when I was doing ringside for Hockey Night in Canada. But I remember uh, someone, one of the producers had flipped me Jean Beliveau's number and Spider had said wanting, he wanted to talk to Mr. Beliveau about something. And I had this number and I thought, okay, this is going to be a total long shot. It's going to go, you know, right to his answering machine or whatever. He's going to be screening his calls. And when he picked up the phone, I mean, you remember Jean Beliveau's voice, right? I mean, oh, deep yeah. and rich and commanding. And I, you know, I'm like 20 something years old talking to this hockey legend that I've admired my entire life. So I, I think I know what you're talking about when you, uh, when you pick up the phone and cold call a legend and they actually pick up and you remember, oh yeah, I really don't have anything to say to you. I'm just so, <laughs> just so starstruck by you I right spit now. out some <laughs> questions about Williams, but I, but it was, it was funny. Like it was just, anyway, so I, I do think Greer was on their list. I, I don't know if he's in the final three to five candidates, but I, I do think he was on his list. You know, we, we talked about Ray Whitney. Yep. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was at least one or two female candidates in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would bet more, I think, like, as you said, off the beaten path. Yep. That's how it was told to me. The Sharks, like, uh, like uh, I, I called someone who I thought might have a clue into some of these. This person said to me, sorry, can't help you. The Sharks made it clear that, it would be a, a strike against you if your name really got out there. So we'll we'll see where this goes over the next couple of weeks. Uh, okay, as we will also wait for the uh, the coaching carousel to finally uh, define itself. And uh, you talked about this on Saturday as well. Whether it's Trotz, Cassidy, Montgomery, DeBoer, Tortorella, or Tockett. There's all and there's other candidates too. Oh, tons, uh, tons. So you want to you want to quickly go through some of the teams here? Sure, let's do it. Well, let's start with this one. I had a lot of notes on the weekend there's a few people who think they kind of wonder about Cassidy in Vegas people said he's talked to them they're definitely looking hard at him but too soon is what people were saying to me they're like you were premature once don't be premature twice but there, there's definitely Vegas definitely has interest in mm-hmm. in Cassidy I think Trotz starts to let teams know mid to late week. So I just wonder if does anybody say we got to know 
before then, or does any or do people just say, you know what, we wait until Trotz clears it up in the middle of the week? We'll see. But I, I know some people believe that you know Vegas was taking a long, hard look at Cassidy as part of their process. But I don't want to say you know any more than that. That doesn't necessarily mean he's got the job or anything like that. But he's definitely someone they're taking a look at. Jim Montgomery in Vegas too. I heard he had a good interview there. I think Montgomery is obviously Winnipeg, and I and I heard he's going to be in the mix with Boston. I've had a few more people say Jay Leach, Boston. You know, the other guy uh, that some people have mentioned to me with Boston is is Nate Lehman, who's the you know the head coach at NCAA at Providence. You know, he signed a really good deal in Providence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he almost before became the head coach of the AHL uh, Providence Bruins. And I don't know why it didn't happen. There are some theories about why it didn't happen. But he was a guy Boston wanted at the time. Like, I, I've had a few people who said that they wouldn't be surprised if he's in the mix there, although he's got a really sweet deal at Providence, I've been told. Mm-hmm. The Dallas Stars, uh, Peter DeBoer and Bruce Cassidy are the two names that keep popping up there. Yeah, I, I think they've got a process. And, you know, I already stepped all over it last week, but those are two, definitely the two names I'm hearing the most. <laughs> yes. Uh, John Tortorella, Philadelphia. Tortorella, Trots. I think DeBoer is interviewed there too. Like I heard that Philly told some of the other candidates and I think Montgomery was one. I think Volucci was another that they really felt that it had to be a a guy with previous experience. They weren't crazy about the idea of a first time head coach. And so DeBoer fits. uh, Montgomery doesn't. I heard Volucci's interview there was really good. And I think they were really impressed with him. But I just don't think that um, Philly felt comfortable doing that right now. I think the most interesting thing in, in Philly is that organization has such a mix of very strong opinions. I, I'm curious to see how it's all going to end. Like there, there's some really strong opinions on where they should go. So I, I'm really interested in this one. How much does some of the older Flyer alumni who are around the team have an effect on? I it? think they love Tortorella. I think there's a segment of that group that really, really, eh? that really loves Tortorella. I, I think that you know the the key with that is they have guys on that team like Cam Atkinson, obviously, who are huge Tortorella fans. I think one of the things they they wonder about is is look, are if we go out and get a chase free agents, are those free agents going to be feel the same way as Atkinson does? And I think that's one of the things that they're kind of going through. Uh, Rick Tockett, speaking about Philadelphia. I, I don't know if, if, if Philly is as likely for Tockett. I, I think he's on Vegas's list and I think he's on Winnipeg's list. And I had someone tell me this week that, uh, Tockett does enjoy TNT. And if, if that's where he ends up, cause he's not crazy about a situation, mm-hmm. it's not the worst thing. Okay. I think Winnipeg's been sending some smoke screens that they're, not really sure about Trotz if if he's going to be the guy for, if he's the guy for them. I think that's all like throw us off the scent. Uh, I definitely think they're they're still very interested, and they'll see where it goes this week. Chicago. I think we mentioned some of the names on Friday. I, I haven't heard any new ones beyond the King Reardon 
Richardson Shaw group that I that I'd heard before, and Detroit. I think someone felt bad for me because I kept on saying nobody has any idea what Iserman is doing. And they said, Iserman has cast a very wide net. Hmm. Some older, more experienced guys and also some younger people who have not been head coaches yet. And he said, if you look around at some of the younger minds that have been around, he said, those are some of the people that Iserman is talked to as well. So they so the Cassidy's kind of fit, and also he says, but you have to comb. But he says that there are some guys there that uh, he's looked at who are younger and really don't get mentioned a lot for head coaching jobs. And of course, we're all sitting there waiting to see if he interviews the Tampa guys. Right, mentioned that on the uh, on the last podcast. Uh, Board of Governors uh, this week. What should we expect for each? Well, it's in person, right? Mm-hmm. It's in person in New York the day after game one. So I'm wondering if the uh, much rumored Bettman extension comes up here. The last Board of Governors meeting was in December. And I think we were all kind of wondering what Bettman's future was at the time. Jeff, we reported not long afterward that there was uh, an extension there. We said it was five years. We were told, be careful you don't say like, five years as commissioner because there might be some sort of unique structure there. I don't know. I'm just telling you what I said at the time. But I'm curious to see if this comes up here at all, that this is where it's either formalized or discussed or Mm -hmm. whatever happens. Uh, Arizona, I would imagine. I think right now the Arizona just got a win at Tempe City Council. They're in negotiations. Yep. I, I do think some people have questions and we'll see how many answers they get (laughs) could be a very interesting week uh on and off the ice um excellent stuff taking us out today elliot is a five-piece multi-instrumental band from illinois uh they put on one hell of a show as well the bandmates have known each other going back to their high school days and in their short musical career have released a pair of albums that blend multiple genres from jazz to rock these guys do it well here's man wolves with their 2021 single Turkish Coffee on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. I still act the same, got ink on my page, I'm playing my course. I keep it around, not putting it down, I don't need it, of course. It's too much to say, and nothing at stake, I'm holding my voice. Spent too much on my seams, not to be seen, and... Me. I can even go to sleep That's a one-stop shop for me And, and notice me I can even go to sleep I need to keep peace Give me, give me, give me
with your adoring me 